0: you know, Visa doesn't have competitors. We only have potential partners. Right. And that's how we like to approach the world uh, and our clients. So we're always open to have conversations with everyone to understand, is there a play, uh, a play for us here? Is there opportunity for us to do something together? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and looking back at what we've done over the, over the last few years, working with, you know, um, WeChat and other big, uh, super apps that would have possibly been hailed as uh, potentially network killers. Mm. Um, ultimately, there's also an opportunity for us to collaborate and create mutual benefits to scale globally, to add new use cases and functionality that would have been restricted on uh, pure localized networks or localized schemes. Mm. So. So as much as this uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenge and the competition is always uh, you know a, a challenge it's also fundamentally an opportunity and um, we definitely see it as that uh,
1: Philip thank you so much for welcoming us here it's great to meet you Pleasure. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Well, so uh, let's just get started. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so
0: my name is Philip Konopik. I am the Regional Managing Director for Visa here in the Nordics and Baltics. So essentially what that means is I'm responsible for our, our existing business here with our clients and partners, and also to develop our future business and how we're going to grow the business in the coming years.
1: All right, great. So let's talk a little bit about the future of payments, because we, we know that payments was perhaps one of the first areas of, of financial services that was disrupted by, by fintechs. And mm. we've seen a lot of change happening in, in consumer behaviors and in the way that people change. So tell us a little bit about how has Visa perceived that the payment process and the payment behavior from customers has changed over the past five years? Yeah. Um,
0: so we've seen a general uh, digitalization of payments. That's been going on for a long time. And and here in the Nordics, we're probably more advanced than than any other market. Um, We have effectively less cash than anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And so the next step of digitalization is is now happening, and that's what we're seeing. Um, It's particularly interesting. So what does that mean? Well, in most cases, it means that the fragmentation of payments has accelerated. Uh, particularly if you look in e-com here what we're seeing is that the way that people pay and the way the options they have to pay has increased so invoices have sort of gained a new life in in e-com and the ability to leverage traditional ways of paying is different you have the rise of buy now pay later which has captured a lot of share and you have very strong uh, new wallet propositions that are able to create almost a similar experience to what was a traditional card payment in a face-to-face environment, online using account-to-account rails, uh, leveraging the digital ID infrastructures that already exist here in the Nordics. So we're really seeing an acceleration of that fragmentation happening in the the e-commerce space and also in payments. And that means that the traditional relationship that the consumer or even a merchant has had with their, their bank or acquirer is fundamentally changing. These new players are able to insert themselves between the relationship, the traditional relationship of that consumer or that merchant with their traditional provider. And they're doing that by focusing on specific parts of the value chain right. that they can deliver better experiences for that are super tailored to a specific segment. Mm-hmm. So increasingly, the choice has broadened much, much beyond of where, where, it, where it was only a few years ago. And that's a trend that we see uh, accelerating uh, and continuing. So this is really the fragmentation is, is, is the fundamental change in, in the payments ecosystem.
1: Right. What are the main challenges that Visa faces in keeping up with the, with the changes in customer behavior, specifically when we look at Generation Z? Mm. So
0: I think Generation Z, they, they really exemplify this evolution of fragmentation that, that we just discussed. It's it's essentially those clients that are keen to try new ways of paying and ready to open relationships with new providers that possibly the more traditional customers that have grown up in a different time of payment experience will be less quick to jump on. So. Generation Z are are pulling or paving the way for the rest of the market in adaptation of these new services and these new relationships. So for us, that really means that what does Visa's role play in this fragmented landscape? For us, it's much more about um, becoming a provider of choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talk about it as being a network of networks. It essentially means that rather than being a single stack provider of a traditional cards solution, We're looking to work with our clients and partners to fulfill their entire payments need, agnostic of rate and also to ensure that even though they might not use our services end-to-end, we can still deliver value at different parts of the value chain. Our model has really been to always work with our clients and partners to enable them to be successful in the markets that they operate in. So as this fragmentation occurs and they're having to service new types of experiences and solutions with the likes of Generation Z, our role is really to also broaden the services that we provide so that our clients and partners can be successful in that type of a market and environment. So what you see us talking more and more about is really how we can become or be more real agnostic uh, Mm -hmm. than we are today, and in, in reality, we already have a whole host of services for that. But also to look at what kind of value added services can we offer on, any rail uh, and any scheme to essentially enable our clients to, to become more effective and succeed in the markets that they
1: operate in. Right. Yeah, value is becoming like a, an, an essential component of any, any proposition, right, and especially 100%. with said. Yeah. Uh, so it's broadly recognized that the Nordics has basically led the Western world in, 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 in innovation of payments. Could you tell us what has the Nordics done particularly well that other parts of the world could learn from in terms of uh, the disruption of payments?
0: Yeah. Um, So I think there's a couple of fundamental things that have really been different in the Nordics or that they've done specifically well. Mm -hmm. I think the first one is the role that the government has played across, across the Nordics really in terms of championing digitalization and um, accessibility to the internet and to the best in class type of, of, of uh, broadband connections. Mm-hmm. So that has really laid set the foundation for the ability for the market as a whole to innovate and, and become digitalized, mm-hmm. also in terms of payments. And the second point I think which is which is crucial and very different is the way that the banks in the norks have been able to collaborate on areas such as uh, digital ID Mm -hmm. so you'll see that across the different markets there are different solutions for that they were very early in doing that and doing that together in a way that then enabled those ID services to essentially form part of all types of services across the economy Uh, healthcare, recreational activities anywhere where you need identification of a consumer the banks were able to essentially provide that service in a very secure and cost-efficient way for uh, the digitalization of the marketplace. And that's also been adapted then into new ways of paying. Because if you have that authentication of the customer, you can actually apply to any type of of payment that you want to do, not just cards or or otherwise. So that's been a really true um, differentiator and, and that collaboration between the banks goes beyond just digital ID. They also collaborate on infrastructure. You're seeing that most recently now with the advent of P27, mm-hmm. which is essentially faster payment rails across the Nordics. But also before that, thinking about the investments that the banks have made in local digital wallet solutions. Mm-hmm. In Sweden, you have Swish, which is a broadly very very broadly accepted uh, wallets by essentially the, the vast majority of the population. You have a similar success in Norway with VIPs and in Denmark with mobile pay and in, in Finland with a mix of wallets Pivo and mobile pay as well mm-hmm. and if the banks had not worked together to create those solutions and offer cost-effective ways of, for people to to send money to each other which was essentially the first uh, use case for these wallets they wouldn't have been able to also move the economy on into the level of digitalization we see today, essentially displacing cash and checks because those last sticky use cases of let's split this bill or I want to give you some money for your birthday, whatever it is, those cases are not possible to go away unless you have these P2P solutions and the Nordic banks were, were very early uh, in, in, in delivering those. I think Swish is now eight, eight or nine years in the making, Vips is, is five plus years. So mm-hmm. if you look at other markets in the world, the banks have not been able to do that in the same way uh, and the digitalization is therefore much
1: further behind. Right. And, and would you say that that collaboration between the banks was industry-led, or was it led by the different governments of the, of the, of the countries?
0: No, interestingly, it was very much industry-led. Wow. Uh, but I think under the the general blessing of of, of, of the um, the national banks, as in the the, the mm. general agenda of removing and an cash from the economy has been a, sort of a mantra in in the Nordics for for a long time. It's, it, a lot of problems come with cash remaining in the systems, mm-hmm. particularly grey economy, black economy. Uh, unless you can't have a control of, of cash, then it's very difficult to, to, to manage the control of those economies. So in digitalization right. essentially brings better control and therefore more tax revenue to the, to the authorities, etc. So that's really been the fundamental drive behind uh, behind digitalizations, and the banks have them for have been given a mandate to essentially deliver on that. Yeah,
1: fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, Philip, tell us how has the competitive landscape shifted for payment companies through the entrance of fintechs and other non uh, non banks mm. into 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 the payments uh, arena?
0: Yeah. So, I think the biggest shift has been the fact that the fragmentation of the relationship that the traditional players have had with their customers, be that consumers or or, or businesses, Mm -hmm. has meant that they no longer are seen as the single provider of of these services. So the success of fintechs and new payments providers has essentially led that the traditional players have less of a a clear relationship with their consumers. Mm -hmm. Um, And the the new providers are, are doing that by focusing on specific use cases that they can deliver much more effectively and to a higher standard than the traditional players. So when you're trying to do everything for everyone, it's very difficult to have a gold plated standard on that. If you're trying to do something specific for a specific segment, your ability to deliver an exceptional service is, is much higher. Yeah. So the traditional players have been looking at, you know, what does that mean for us? How do we evolve to meet this level of competition? Many banks have questioned, should they be banks or should they have tradition to becoming tech companies, right? Mm-hmm. Can a bank truly become a tech company? Uh, many banks have attempted that or are on the journey to transition at least part way to becoming more digital first more tech first companies mm-hmm. but that transition is very heavy mm-hmm. if you're coming from you know 60 100 years of business legacy systems uh, very traditional processes uh, so it's a heavy lift for for many banks and even as they go through that the realization dawns that we're not going to be able to be doing everything that we have done traditionally um, in the best way for our clients and our customers so right. there's going to be a level of partnership happening uh, and collaboration between fintechs and new payment providers and traditional banks where banks mm. essentially look at their business model seeing what are the elements where we can really compete and add value and where are the elements where actually through collaboration we can provide a better products and a better service for our, for our customers right. um, and as that nets out, we will see much more interest from the big banks in finding ways to collaborate with new players. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to be finding the areas where the new providers are mature and can really successfully deliver, Mm -hmm. rather than what we've seen probably in the last five, ten years, we have a lot of banks looking at new providers that are not really mature and they finding that the hand-holding of those providers is quite quite heavy. Um, But that also means for us thinking about how can we help our, 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 our banks to navigate in that, uh, in that new ecosystem, how can we enable them to partner more easily, how can we help new providers, new value-added services that are coming into the market to successfully integrate with big banks and traditional players to de- develop these, these better services. So I think that is the, the fundamental shift that we see in, in how competition is, is playing out in the market
1: with the with the arrival of innovation in the payment sphere we, mm. we've seen that there's almost like a, a race to the bottom when it comes to fees yeah so how has this change in the competitive landscape impacted revenue in in payment companies and what are companies like Visa doing in in order to develop new business models yeah um
0: yeah so absolutely over time we're seeing that uh, the increase in volume that goes into payments digital payments essentially is helping to bring prices down uh, and also increased competition, fragmentation, which we talked about. New mm-hmm. providers are finding new ways of using new rails or so combining old and new into new propositions is essentially increasing competition and, 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 and pushing prices down. Mm-hmm. Um, However, we are very fortunate to be in a business where digitalization is still happening in a lot of places in the world. Um, Even in the Nordics, where there's no cash left, we're still seeing a lot of new use cases coming into the market, which is driving the growth of digital payments. Transactions that could have been single transactions in the past are getting fragmented and becoming multiple transactions. Mm different part of the value chain are coming in particularly on the b2b and the commercial side is where we're seeing it's heavily Mm underpenetrated by card payments and generally digital payments and we see the ability the likes of the gig economy is bringing where the provider is also ultimately a consumer Mm -hmm. Um, you're seeing a multiplication effect of the payments that happen so so you as a consumer of a service is paying something for that for the provision of that service the provider of that service is pulling that payment down and then doing subsequent payments so a single transaction is turning into, into multiple transactions right. so fragmentation of payments is also enabling the pie to grow and mm-hmm. fra- and, and, and payments to grow as as as, uh, as a whole now that said um coming back to what is visa doing to become more competitive and to broaden what we do well absolutely focusing on broadening the services that we offer is key Mm -hmm. Um, we're thinking about it in a way of providing services that are holistic for our our clients so we're saying we're not coming in to sell a single stack sell card solutions we're coming in to provide a service for any type of payment that our client needs Um, so we could cater for all the use cases regardless of rails regardless of card scheme and that's really where we can provide this type of hub Uh, Proposition Mm -hmm. or network of networks is Mm -hmm. is how we describe it That's the sort of the the payment side of it and on top of that you have all the value-added services that exist So this could be risk or fraud. It could be loyalty um, It could be effectively anything that amplifies or enables um, a Partner to deliver the type of proposition that they want to deliver and here again we're primarily focusing on services that are agnostic so they're not tied specifically to our specific rails, but can work on on any rails. And for that to, to work for us, um, or for that strategy to essentially work long term, it means that we need to be able to embed ourselves and add value anywhere in the value chain of a payment. Um, and that's how we remain relevant and that's how we see our business being able to grow. Uh, over time, even in a, in, a, in a market, as you say, where maybe the core service is being heavily pushed on on yield compression, yeah. um, we still see this huge growth potential in, in terms of the, the value-added services that can exist, exist, but the success is dependent on being agnostic and being able to provide a, a best-of-breed service. Uh, in the future. So that's where we're focused.
1: Right. So so then I would say uh, that the, the, the disruption has been almost like a blessing in disguise because it's given rise to all these new type of opportunities, right? That's exactly right. So it's, it's a
0: challenge and it's also the biggest opportunity that we have. So yeah. uh, uh, that's why our CEO, uh, he's often quoted saying, you know, Visa doesn't have competitors. We only have potential partners. Right. And that's how we like to approach the world uh, wow. and our clients. So we're always open to have conversations with everyone to understand: is there a play, uh, a play for us here? Is there opportunity for us to do something together? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and looking back at what we've done over the over the last few years, working with you know um, WeChat and other big uh, super apps that would have possibly been hailed as uh, potentially network killers Mm. um, ultimately there's also an opportunity for us to collaborate and create mutual benefits to scale globally to add new use cases and functionality that would have been restricted on uh, pure localized networks or localized schemes Mm. so so as much as this uh, it's a it's a it's a challenge and the competition is always uh, you know a a challenge is also
1: fundamentally an opportunity and um, we definitely see it as that and uh, just picking up on what you're saying, I think that's, that's remarkable because we know transformation is very difficult for, for incumbents and for companies that have been uh, in the business for a long time. Mm. But the cultural changes is perhaps the most difficult type of transformation that you can achieve. And what you're describing is this, we don't have competitors, but we have partners. That's that's a drastic shift in, in the mindset of the organization, I would say, in the culture. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And it's
0: really fascinating. Um... And it's, it's, it's a change that we're sort of constantly going through uh, and we are a business that's fundamentally growing year on year. Uh, we invest a lot of money into growing our specifically our market capabilities to work more locally with partners mm-hmm. um, because innovation happens both at the aggregate yes. global trends but also very much in specific markets uh, without regulation led or depending on the market structure or the level of digitalization innovation always uh, and payments are fundamentally localized so um, yeah it's a a huge change but um, i feel like we're embracing it with both hands
1: that's really cool and so tell us how is visa staying ahead of the curve and ensuring that it caters for the 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 changing needs of, of both customers and merchants
0: yeah so um this comes back to the way that we look at innovation, I think. So we have different levels. Uh, we start with maybe the global trends that are happening in digitalization and in payments in general. And we have central teams uh, that look far out. You know, they look horizon three, horizon four, thinking about what does crypto ultimately mean to payments? What mm. does central bank digital currencies ultimately mean? What does what does it mean when there's no cash? And what are the services that Visa is actually going to provide in a global economy that is effectively 100% digitalized, mm. um, and then we have localized teams that work with innovation centers that we have all over the world. They work with our clients and partners to figure out what does innovation mean in this market. What are the innovation, innovative needs that um, are being fulfilled by local players, and ultimately we also work jointly with our clients and partners. And everywhere we have lighthouse partners that are really pushing the boat, trying to deliver new propositions and services to market. Mm-hmm. And we get the opportunity to work with them and also evolve the services that we provide, either directly mm-hmm. through the innovation that we do into our products and services, or with partners that we find. Sometimes that we've acquired, or sometimes that we have developed joint ventures with or partnerships with in the specific markets. And by being able to do that, we're essentially delivering innovation at all three levels, at the global level, at a regional level, and also market-specific level. And the beauty of being a global organization allows us then to leverage those ultimately what gets delivered across Mm -hmm. other regions. So the learnings from a market like the Nordics, which is so far ahead, um, is absolutely gold dust Right. For clients in other markets that are looking at, you know, how sh- where should we be in five years' time, so What are the things we need to invest in now to actually be able to get to the level of Sweden or or Norway in terms of the digitalization and the service that they provide, or the evolution of the banking model that they that they um, need to adapt to be to be where where, where the Nordic banks already are. So right. those learnings are, are are really key, and the level of innovation, therefore, that we can transition between. Markets is, um, is is
1: really really valuable. So that's how we try and think about innovation in in the three different areas. Indeed. Okay, Philip, tell us what can we expect to see in terms of the digitalizations of of the payment experience in business-to-business transactions. Yes. Um,
0: so I think it's important to to recognize that, uh, particularly in the Nordics and Baltics. Business-to-business transactions are already highly digitalized, right? There's Mm -hmm. almost no cash left in business-to-business transactions. Checks are essentially gone as well. So digitalization is already there. However, it is very much a legacy uh, digitalization. Um, So the invoice payments that you see today will have probably very poor user experience Mm -hmm. and very limited functionality. So when we talk about digitalization of B2B payments, we're really talking about the 2.0 digitalization of B2B payments, if you will. Um, And what we see there is really a dialogue enablement between two parties. Mm -hmm. So whereas today uh, an invoice or a a payments request will be very straightforward, you know, payment this money by this Mm date, that's pretty much it. The dialogue enables the parties to effectively say, well, actually, can I change the payment terms of this? can i extend this can i have flexible credit could i change the ability to pay this to another payment rail for instance that dialogue and those functionalities doesn't exist today and that's what we think Mm -hmm. is coming with the 2.0 version of of b2b payments Mm -hmm. so that is really where we see the new functionality that you know specific special purpose cards or single-use cards or even open banking start to play a role in delivering these new types of experience Mm -hmm. and ultimately we expect the new functionality will start to eat away and replace these legacy type uh, b2b digital experiences that we have today so um, today Uh, I think we're probably at the cusp of a
1: real revolution of of B2B payments. And that's super exciting. Exciting indeed, yes. Um, So just to close, Philip, tell us what are your priorities for the rest of 2022? And what do you expect payments to look like in 2025?
0: Yeah, Um, so for 2022, I think for us and for me specifically, the the key focus is really now to execute on uh, the strategy that we have. So we talked about network of networks, we talked about rail agnostic, we talked about uh, value-added services that can sit on anything and play a part in a broader value chain. For me, 2022 is actually creating those proof points jointly with our clients in the market, showcasing that we are taking steps on this journey Mm -hmm. to really become and fulfill that promise of networks of networks. Um, So that's that's sort of core of of what, what this year is all about. So for for 2025 what we're thinking is that the trends that we're seeing today will continue. So increasingly the fragmentation we're seeing in the payments landscape, which means that specific providers are intersecting themselves between the consumer and the payments provider or the consumer and the merchants, uh, will continue. They can provide either better value service, better functionality, uh, better price potentially for that engagement, mm-hmm. so this one-to-one relationship between a consumer and a merchant or consumer as a bank as we expected in the past, that will become more rare and more seldom uh, and this sort of the rise of these players that sit in the middle, be they wallets, big tech providers or fintechs mm-hmm. uh, for specific use cases, that will just continue to, to, to increase. So. Uh, the fragmentation is, is, uh, is only at the beginning, I think, uh, in terms of what it means for, for payments by 2025, certainly.
1: Yeah. Well, Philip, thank you so much for your time. I think it's been really, really fascinating listening to all the insights that you had to share with us today. A real pleasure. Thank you so much. The pleasure has been all ours. Thanks.